0: Hey, everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tier at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Currick, and this is Next Question. Today on the show, part two of our behind-the-scenes look at the making of my memoir, Going There. Now, last week, I introduced you to my team, Lucy Kalin and Adriana Fazio. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you might wanna check it out first. It will give you some helpful context and some fun stories. It's in your feed now. Meanwhile, this week, Lucy, Adriana, and I dive into the tough stuff, like writing about my husband Jay's death 20 some odd years later, and the downfall of Matt Lauer. But first, we pick up where we left off, talking about the structure of the book, and why it was so helpful to reevaluate past interviews and moments in my life from our current lens of 2021. I think one of the, as I said, one of the interesting aspects of writing this was to be able to look through the lens of 2020 and 2021, um, and really 2019, and all the things that were happening in the culture, and then reevaluate, these moments in time, whether it was Reginald Denny or or Matthew Shepard and, you know, and, and the kind of pushback. I mean, I was sort of full of some pride along with occasional embarrassment of how I handled interviews like David Duke. Mm-hmm. I'd like to repeat something you said in 1985, quote, I think the Jewish people have been a blight and they probably deserve to go into the ash bin of history.
3: Well, I don't I don't agree with that quote, and that certainly doesn't sum up my my
0: That was only six years ago. Well, that doesn't sum up my feelings accurately. A lot of things are taken out of context, and, you know, I'm not opposed to the Jewish people. That's a direct quote, Mr. Duke. I'm not, well, I'm not opposed to the Jewish people. That's not my position today, and I think that we've... And how I, you know, handled the governor of Wyoming when we talked about conversion therapy, Mm -hmm. and if, in fact, it fostered kind of this this feeling of discrimination or intolerance towards gay people Mm -hmm. was sort of an interesting avenue to go down. And so um, I think there are things that I would change. But then also there were moments when I was really, you know, filled with pride that I had accomplished something and that I had communicated something even bigger than the event I was covering.
3: Well, I I think something that we found um, so interesting to talk about in the book, of course, was that, you know, for instance, at the time of the David Duke interview, you were, you know, on fire as the most beloved, you know, person on television. Although that was
0: really quite early in my career. I mean, it was like
3: early in the Today Show. I think I'd only been there a year, right?
0: 1991.
3: But people were bonkers for you and you were, you know, on the road to America's sweetheart dumb. And I remember, um, and we've talked about it a lot, you know, you really had to wrestle, although not wrestle too hard with the fact that you know, I might have an amazing smile and I might be America's sweetheart, but I'm going to tell some really hard stories and I'm going to go hard when I have to. And that decision that you made that I think, to be honest, is a hard decision for a lot of women on television to make. And not only on television, but
0: I think women still struggle with these two sides of their personalities, wanting to be liked and wanting to uh, be popular in the workplace, whatever work they've chosen, and also being able to make hard decisions and, you know, tell people the, the truth without being labeled a bitch. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the themes throughout this book is sort of the, the Katie Catherine dichotomy and Adriana, trying to tell everyone sort of how that plays out in the book.
5: Well, one of the most obvious places it plays out is on your first day on the today show when, and early in your career, you went as Catherine from NBC news, this is Today with Bryant Gumble, Catherine Couric, and Joe Garagio. You were Catherine Couric, covering the Pentagon, first day on the Today Show, Catherine Couric. And you put your hands on your head and you say, I
0: still can't decide whether I'm Catherine or Katie. Gosh, no. I
5: still can't decide whether I'm Katie or Catherine. And Which is
0: sort of uh, very much a, a huge theme in the book, huge. isn't it? super yeah. prescient.
5: Yeah, and whether it's, the, the stories you chose to cover, the way you hand, carried yourself, whether you stayed at the Today Show, whether you went to the CBS Evening News, it, it's all a divide of Katie and Catherine. And am I the cute, perky, you girl <laughs> who does features or am I this hardcore, serious journalist? And I think at your core, you are the hardcore, serious journalist and you just have this packaging. We've talked a lot about packaging yeah, yeah, yeah. that allows itself to sometimes be taken in a different way as this silly, goofy, which you are, but you can be both. And right. I, I think one of the things I've struggled with
0: professionally my whole life is, is this need almost to, to categorize people, you know, and to not see them holistically. And I think we're all, I mean, I feel like Bette Midler and Peaches. I I, I'm deep. I'm very deep. Remember when she did that TV interview? And um, but I do think that that somehow television, and we talk about this in the prologue, kind of puts you in a box and shrinks you down and makes makes you kind of telegraph um, a a one dimensional kind of uh, persona. And I think what I always always struggled with is I think at my heart, I am like a a person that that cares deeply, as Beth did in Beaches, but really cares about kind of getting to the heart of issues and helping people understand them and figuring out them myself and and hopefully as people see me figuring out things that helps them. But on the other hand, I do have this sort of fun-loving, outgoing, gregarious style, personality, and it's really hard for people to understand you can be both right and I think it was interesting because part of my job on the Today show was to to highlight that kind of uh, my personable side and my fun side and quick-witted if I if I could say that side but it it sometimes came at a cost of people thinking well she's perky which I think is a very marginalizing, diminishing word. Um, I always think of Susan Sarandon and Bull Durham when she said, you know, baby ducks are cute. And, and I, 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 the reason I bristled at that word, and the more I bristled, the more like the New York Post liked to call me that, um, is, is I felt like it, it was really sexist and really um, minimizing. And so it was really hard to balance Mm -hmm. these two things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we write in the book about when I, when I did that David Duke interview and I, you know, kind of had that velvet hammer thing going that, you know, people at home were like, oh my God, Martha, what happened to that nice Katie Couric, You (laughs) you know? And so it was trying to be taken seriously because I am a weirdly serious person, but also, making sure people enjoyed watching me. So that was always the balance on the Today Show. And I think when I went to the CBS Evening News, that really did create problems for me. Some of it was just old-fashioned, you know, run-of-the-mill sexism because I was a morning show person. And, and how pe- many men
5: have been morning show Yes, people. Tom Brokaw was yeah.
0: a morning show person as well. And John Chancellor was a morning show guy. And uh, Charlie Rose and... Um, you know, but I do think it. Just getting back to the whole packaging and and the whole idea of images being so important. The fact that I am short and, you know, cute. I guess you'd call me and vivacious. Um, that that it it put me in that box and didn't. That box couldn't expand to say. Well, she has a, you know, a pretty keen intellect as well. Right. But when I went to the CBS Evening News, I think, you know, there were, that was um, kind of amplified. Right. Right. And people were like, like, oh, she's not,
5: she's not a real journalist. You know, she's a morning host. That's so funny because if you look at your record at the Today Show, everyone who you had interviewed, Yasser Arafat, all of the presidential candidates. You had so many hard interviews under your belt. And in but. fact, I,
0: I think I said at the time, you know, I've I've done more hard hitting interviews than any of the evening news dudes combined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's totally true, Probably. but I but I had done just as many. Right. I mean, I, I I didn't tally them up, but I think I had. And so, um, you know, that was a that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, interesting slash horrible. Uh, which you can read all about, of of going to the CBS Evening News, which a friend of mine recently asked after she read uh, the book, she said, do you regret it? And I don't really even know the answer to that question. Do I regret it? I try to live without regrets, but if I knew then what I know now, would I have made the move? Probably not.
5: Well, the way I think of you thinking of it which is probably me projecting, but it's just someone had to be the first and you were the first and it sucks to be the first. And thank God you did it. And I think we say in the, at the end of the book, I hope you made it easier for Nora O'Donnell and all the other women to come, mm-hmm. but it just sucks to be the first. I just, and I think I was na-
0: naive about it. You know, I think because I had been so successful on the Today Show, I think that I thought that that this blatant sexism, pervasive sexism, had hadn't evaporated but had had what would be the word you guys had kind of waned. Waned. Thank you, Lucy. And, <laughs> the <weird> uh, hazard. <laughs> and um and, and and the fact of the matter was it was two thousand six and I was like, oh come on, you know, people think women can do anything. And it was a really hard lesson in what a firm grasp sexism continues to have on our society. And I think I saw that not only with my experience there, but then of course with Hillary Clinton's candidacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And And how acceptable it still was and
3: is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's totally fascinating, really interesting stuff in the book, of course, is, you know, you experienced your own um, really blatant sexism and had a lot of questions about the way these, you know, bastions of male journalism operated. And, you know, soon enough, only a handful of years later, we'd all find ourselves smack in the middle of Me Too. And, you know, you, you obviously, you know, had a lot of, you know, proximity to that. And I know when working on the book, that was a huge thing for you to sort through and figure out, you know, how, what you wanted and needed to say about it. And I think what's, what was almost therapeutic
0: <laughs> and cathartic about writing this book was, um, it was was not long after Matt had been fired from the Today Show. And I think, Um, You know, I think what we tried to do in the book is really illustrate how I processed this, how I processed everything that was happening in the Me Too movement, but also how someone with whom I had a really nice professional relationship with and cared about um, sort of how he crossed a line, but also how the environment that existed during you know the the high points of my career us uh, uh, really set the stage for something like this happening yeah. because it was uh you know so tolerated and really kind of considered mm-hmm. uh, part of the part of the culture not only in in television news but in a whole a whole host of professions. You know, I've talked to my friends who are lawyers and who are, you know, bankers and worked in finance or in, you know, all kinds of careers, fashion, Mm -hmm. you know, and the kind of uh, behavior that went on that was acceptable. um, It just, it's just really actually pretty appalling when again, you look
3: through it through the lens of, of the 20s, the 2020s. Yeah, and you know, it was not only sitting next to Matt and working with him for all of those years, but so many guys who were felled um, by this that you know, you had your brushes with, and it was a huge um, part of figuring out what you were going to say to sort of you know, you know what you know what those encounters were like, and what in retrospect was going on. I mean you know, Les Moonvis, Jeff Fager, you know, you certainly had some encounters with Charlie Rose. I mean, you know, just so many, with Harvey Weinstein, not knowing at all, of course, the extent of what was going on, but it just being in the world you were in and being who you were, there was, I mean, it was all around, you mm-hmm. know, and that was, I know, a huge um, task for you to sort of sort through what the hell was going on. And you know? I think
0: also, you know, generationally, you know, I see a very different perspective from, people Adriana's age and my daughter's age is, and, and, Sophie's, and Sophie's age, age uh, you know, where I still have to kind of say when people will say, well, people were throwing themselves at him, or, you know, she was really, you know, she really pursued him or this, that, about any of these mm-hmm. people who were felled by the Me Too movement. And sometimes I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute. And I realize how easy it is to kind of switch and put the onus on women uh, when, when really these men are in, you know, it is a power dynamic, it's about power, but they're in these positions as I write in the book with, as Peter Parker would say, with great power comes great responsibility. And my girls always kinda, you know, set me straight. Uh, but it it it's such a different perspective uh on on sort of male-female relationships and the power dynamics in a workplace for young women than women our age. Having said that, I do agree, you know, I talked to Jody Cantor about this, about this idea of believing all women. And and as a journalist, I just don't follow that uh that advice because I think that that our our job is to get to the truth and i think there are times when the pendulum has swung too much and you know that with one tweet somebody's career can be can be destroyed and you know it's really 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 important that 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 these stories are covered with a lot of care and diligence
5: and just to play devil's advocate though, and statistically, when you do get to the bottom of the stories though, the women are often telling the truth. What is it like 94% of women or 94% of sexual harassment or assault cases end up being true. Women are telling the truth, right. but I, I agree. They do have to be properly. But that, that's a good, you know, see, yeah. there
0: you go. The young person in the room. Ex- exhibit A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Lucy, I mean, I think you and I kind of had to recalibrate our perspective in some ways uh, as, as two women, uh, you know, in their er- early 60s, yeah. you know, trying yeah. to kind of, um, you know, ch- change our perspective because I think we had become in some weird ways accustomed to what was deemed acceptable.
3: I mean I was at GQ magazine um for 19 years and I was very 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 much in the minority as a woman and you know it was the 90s it was the aughts. I started in the in the late 80s and it was a you know it was a pretty it was it, it you know fabulous guys who are great friends to this of mine to this day really smart really amazing great mentors but there was a frat house aspect and there the the you know the humor was body and, you know, there's a lot that you sort of took as a woman. If you're like the only one at the conference table who like, there was a lot of ribbing and things like that. And I think one of the things that was tricky for me is that like, I mean, I think, and I think you do too, take a fair amount of pride in having, you know, survive those years in style. I mean, I, and this is something I have to be very careful about is like, you, you know, you don't want to in any way undercut the really important work that's being done now by you know women and for women for a more equitable workplace. But there is that kind of like you know old school thing of you know where when you and I when you and I came along, it was like you know good on us for like finding a way and kind of getting through a really tricky time by our wits. Um, so I mean, it's just a very different workplace for women today. Yeah, and I
0: I, I mean. Good on us in some ways, but bad on us for maybe not me. I'm speaking about myself. Maybe not speaking out in certain situations uh, because you know it was a question of survival sure. in some cases. I remember one of my uh, one former anchor called a, a low-level employee a, a very disgusting word. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what it meant. Mm-hmm. That's how, how sort of shielded, I guess I was. But when I realized it was, you know, he was using a part of the female anatomy to describe her and and saying it in front of other people. Yeah. I said, you go to his office and tell him to please not call you that. Uh, I, I mean, part of me, I think I wanted her to stand up for herself. Right. And maybe part of me was afraid of backlash from him if I had been the one to bring it up. Mm -hmm. And she did. And I don't think he ever talked to her again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so there were, we don't write about that, but there were incidents like that, that that were really unacceptable that I think maybe I shouldn't have put up with as much as I
3: did. That said, though, I mean, that what you did at CNN, um, you know, way back in the day when you weren't Katie Couric yet. I mean, that was brave. And people, young women who wanted to keep their jobs in places like CNN and, you know, magazines and whatnot didn't do that. It's a great story. Yeah. And I
0: I, I think people should read the book because I can't remember the memo I wrote, but it was, um, you know, pretty direct after someone had made an inappropriate comment about me, someone in a, in a very high position. And, um, you know, I credit my my mentor, Don Farmer, for really encouraging me to do that. so i I really appreciate that Don kind of um you know, set me on a path, yeah, that said you don't have to put up with this. yeah, which was really, I mean, incredible when you think about how how important that that moment was for me and and uh, made me realize that I could stand up for myself, even though I ultimately do believe it cost me. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. You know? In, in the short term. Yeah, in the short term, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened yeah. to me. Mm-hmm.
5: I was just going to say, and kudos to Don for being a man. I for know. For encouraging yeah. a young woman to— And he was a male ally before we ever knew what exactly. that was, Exactly. Right? Exactly.
0: We'll be right back with more behind-the-scenes moments from my memoir. That's right after this.
4: Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tier at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, we really wrote the bulk of this book in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of massive social upheaval, right, in the country. Um, and, And not to mention, you know, the biggest political story, uh, of of the last 50 years, I would venture to say, or at least one of the most transformative political stories, i.e. the presidency of Donald J. Trump. And so those things really, I think, impacted the process in a way. I am, I would never say I'm thankful to, for the pandemic because I would never say that and I don't feel that way, but it did present us with an opportunity to really focus on the book.
5: Well, wait, let me let me tell this from my perspective a little, well, Go ahead. Go so, ahead. Go so, a little Miss Pushy. Yeah. I learned, I learned from my role model. Um, so we were supposed to come out to the Hamptons to work on the book for a weekend. And because a lot of Katie's archives, as I stated, are in the basement here. And um, we were going to come out for a weekend to quote unquote, ride this thing out. Co- that thing being like March 11th, 2020, and then John called me the morning that we were leaving for a weekend and said, you should pack your bags for a week. And then I didn't leave this establishment until December. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Adriana
0: yeah. became an honorary member of the Couric Molner
3: Monahan family. Yes. And then I would nip in for a week <laughs> well, yeah, here exactly. and there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we would just be in our pajamas all day, just bent over our laptops. All day so and all night. Because yeah.
5: also I would like to, Katie and I are, we <laughs> liked work a lot. We like being productive. Lucy has a work ethic I have never seen and will never see ever again. It would be Lucy literally is, one in the morning. <laughs> she is,
2: and is, it, we would, is it preter we would be or preter naturally?
5: Preter naturally or preternaturally?
0: Either one is fine. Okay, I usually <laughs> say preter. preter. I usually say preter. You preter. say preter, I say preter. Let's call the, call whole, the whole thing, thing off. off yeah. um, but Lucy is preternaturally, preternaturally. Focused. I have never seen someone who can just, I mean, I'm pretty good at tuning out the world, especially when I'm watching commercials for some weird reason on TV. I'm like, and people are like, hey, but Lucy and her laptop lying here, just like in a little nest. A creature, of, a yeah, creature in
5: her nest. Yeah,
0: like, I don't know why I'm imitating a possum right now, but <laughs> Lucy is, is just, the most focused, hardworking person be, I think
5: I ever met. Yeah, it would be midnight and Katie and I would actually be begging to go to bed. <laughs> and Lucy would say, No, we have to keep working.
3: Well, a couple <laughs> of things on that. Um, one is that I have a very, very, very narrow skill set. I don't know how to, you know. I don't like to shop. I don't know how to cook. There's a lot I don't. So it's good that I have these skills because I ride them hard. These are my skills and this is what I do. Um, But secondly, just the material was so great. And of course, fun working with you. But I love them. I mean, your life is just just incredibly interesting. And, you know, if it were crappy material, boring, you probably would have seen less focus. Meanwhile, you
0: know, all these things were happening. We were having uh, a racial reckoning. We were having uh, Me Too, you know, George Floyd was murdered, uh, Black Lives Matter was was really, uh, I think, reaching the masses in a way it hadn't before, even though I think it had, you know, been around for many years prior or at least several years prior. And, you know, that was also fascinating too because I think it informed and kind of brought into sharper focus mm-hmm. many of the things we were writing about and, and really gave a new perspective to some of our own implicit biases and our own view of, of different social situations or different societal issues, I should say. Um, and so to me, it, it made the book much stronger um, that, that we, that the country was grappling
3: yeah.
0: with all of this and that we were, and I think it comes through the pages of the book, not to mention, you know, there's a whole section on, on Jay and his love of the civil war. And, and he was particularly enamored by the Confederacy and yeah. Robert E. Lee, having gone to W and being a history buff, even as a little boy, Yeah, wallpaper of the presidents and, you know that was a really interesting and at times painful exercise in in trying to understand uh, what it was about these moments in history that so fascinated Jay and and that that he really romanticized.
3: I mean, I think there's just really, really beautiful, amazing. Um, chapters concerning uh, your family, your incredible daughters, your wonderful current husband, and certainly the the tragedy of Jay. It's really strong stuff.
0: I think that, you know, my hope is that writing so honestly about, you know, Jay's diagnosis at such an early age, and it's still so tragic to me. Um, I think people who have experienced those kinds of tragedies will, will, will really relate to what I was going through and I think a lot of the the feelings and the things I did in retrospect I think will resonate with a lot of people and that was really hard to do I just actually am um, almost finished with the audiobook of of reading it and and to revisit those terribly oh my god I mean impossibly sad and worrisome and fear fear-filled days was really was really hard but I think it was so um I think it was some of my best writing because it was so so close to the bone and to my very being and to to be able to to write about it which I never would have done until now because I always did feel this it, it was an invasion of Jay's privacy, but you know, I think it was, I hope it's it's a tribute to Jay. Um, and I think the whole book is, a lot of the book is because I think he comes through and I, I'm just sorry that I couldn't write about Ellie's wedding and the ways that his presence kind of informed so many things that we did. Um, but, But um, I hope that people appreciate, and you know, sometimes marriages aren't always like in the very best place when a tragedy like this happens. And I think that sorting through that is
3: really hard as well. Well, I think another huge, huge piece of it. I mean, yes, um, I think there are sadly many women who will relate to when something like this happens to your family and men, but the other thing that perhaps they won't relate to, and I think makes for really extraordinary reading is you were at the height of your fame when this news came down. And, you know, we talked a lot about the juggling is not a sufficient word, but the juggling of the public and the private and the way those aspects of your life would come crashing together. Like, you know, learning of your sister's diagnosis when you're on The Tonight Show and you're in the green room and you've just done a great performance. and. You know, that was one of those horrible, and there are so many with Jay, just the the way the public and the private, the professional and the personal would just come crashing together. And that was an interesting thing to sort through, I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but come on in, Mole. No, come on. Then there was, of course, um, my current husband who just popped up. Come here, come over here, Mole. Come on, just for a second. Come on, come sit.
5: Sit. Come on over.
0: Come on, John
5: Mulner. He loves it. <laughs> yeah. He's into it. He, he Come, acts all on. Shine. Come on, <laughs> Mulner. He
0: likes
5: like, like to get shower. <laughs> <Just Yeah. time. laughs> you
0: know, actually, and, and we were this is a good spot because we, we talk about when we met. He's not really loving me right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> he thinks I'm a slob. And I am, and I'm sorry. That's okay. Anyway, um, about when we met and um and our marriage. I mean, but listen,
2: I just want to ask you, is it cool if the exterminator comes to about <laughs> 10 o'clock?
1: We have to be out of the house for two hours.
5: What?
2: Can
1: what? you be out of the oh, house at two hours? Well,
5: why do we need an exterminator?
1: I guess there are bugs. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> can Can they do it on Sunday when the audiobook is done and we're gone?
2: Oh, I could. You, would that be better? Way better. Projector? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll just tell them that we'll do it next week.
0: But, John, I guess
2: no yet we can so
5: just
0: maybe. say, we Let's talk. Let's get back to the book. We, we talk about your first.
2: Our, this, is, this segment brought to you by Organ.
0: <laughs> we, we talk about our first day, about getting married, about finally finding uh, a partner that was worthy of me. Who's that? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Unfortunately, you didn't return the affection. <laughs> yeah. so what happened to that
0: guy? About how you had a health scare and the. Wedding almost didn't happen. And we thought you were gonna buy the farm <laughs> and you did. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you all need to read the book to learn yeah. more about it. Yeah, I like that chapter. Thanks for thanks for coming in and really contributing to this podcast.
4: Okay, great seeing everybody. <laughs> hey, okay, nice. Hey, hey big fan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Bye. Who Doesn't Love a Mulner Cameo? We'll be right back with more of my Behind the Memoir conversation right after this.
4: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. Hey, everyone, it's Katie
0: Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tier at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. let's talk about some of our our favorite moments or our favorite part of this experience adriana what was yours
5: well thanks for asking (laughs) katherine um well so obviously i wanted to be Katie, blah, 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 blah. I always wanted to work in television, but blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. We've all heard it before. She has a million super fans. I'm just the president of the fan club. Um, TV is admittedly very different now than it was back then. So one of my favorite parts to research and relive with both of you was the booking wars and the crazy shit they would do to get the get in the early 90s. It was cutthroat to say the least and terrifying and amazing. And as an incredibly competitive person, it would have thrived. <clears throat> and you have to read the book. Just that era of television, the once magical world of TV news. <laughs> it was very fun to relive with the queen of it.
3: I loved, I I mean, I love it all, but I love the early chapters um, when you're you know, not at all famous yet. And you're just trying so hard in the most occasionally bumbling and always charming ways to kind of get your piece and, you know, just, you know, get the assignment, get on air, whatever it takes. And it's it's really knowing what is up ahead. It's it, it it's just so entertaining and, and really fun. Um, but especially I love those, you know, really strategic moments that are leading to your, um, you know, uh, getting the co-anchor job at the Today Show. It's, it's goosebumps for me every time. And I know the story really well, <laughs> but know. but it really is goosebumps. It's so kind of cinematic and, you know, just funny and triumphant. And, you know, it's, it's just scene, scene by scene. It's great. I enjoyed really all of it.
0: Uh, it, it didn't feel like that sometimes at the time, but, um, you know, I think for someone who becomes a public figure, whatever that means, that people write about you and they project upon you and they analyze you. And I, I think for me, it just felt so fulfilling to be able to talk about what it felt like at the time for me personally. And, you know, there was so often I couldn't and to be able to kind of take it the, the my in, entire life experience and of course not my entire because we had to pick and choose. but to really kind of share that was was so gratifying and and for me, I think i I really loved learning a little more, revisiting my roots and talking about sort of where I came from and my Father's side of the family and my mother's side, and kind of talking about the fact that I discovered my mom was Jewish when I was ten years old, uh, because it's something I remember so so vividly. And to me, that's that's such an interesting cultural uh, snapshot in many ways about what it meant to be Jewish growing up in Virginia and. A, assimilation and maybe my mom's own issues and um, you know, and and again, it's something that shaped who I became. So just kind of learning about that and and reading about it again and learning more was really special for me. And I think something's a gift to my girls. I mean, Carrie's done all kinds of research already into our our family history and and as I, I believe, a, a much better writer than I will ever be. But um, you know, it was it was fun to kind of do that, uh, you know, in her footsteps in a weird way too. So, so I really enjoyed that. Um, but it's really hard to even isolate one part of the book because it was so. Um, it was hard, man. It was hard. But I just loved writing the whole thing. I loved being with you too, And I think I've said this many, many times to privately to Lucy and Adriana, but the fact that they never wavered in their interest and passion and enthusiasm for telling my story, I mean, it's such a gift because I mean, to me, it's so selfless. It's not your story, it's my story, but in a way it's all of our story. And I'm so grateful because never did you all say, oh God, I'm so sick of you or (laughs) you probably were, but like, I can't believe we have to work on this part again or who cares or honestly, or, and I even behind my back, I don't think you were saying those things. And, um, you know, that is such, that is so, I mean, I don't even know how to put into words how, wonderful and special that is for me so Aww. i just really really appreciate you guys and um you know there's so much of both of you in this book um and and i could never ever have done it without you so thank you
3: we love you and we're the we lucky love you. ones we're the lucky ones thank you for well the you don't have to say anything. Pinnacles of my professional life. And the beginning of mine.
0: <laughs> Again, thank you so much to Lucy Kalin and Adriana Fazio for joining me on this podcast and for making my memoir possible. Speaking of which, dun, da, 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 going there is out now. So I hope you all find time to give it a read. And by the way, I still have a few stops ahead for my book tour. I have some incredible guests. I have Jen Garner in Los Angeles, as well as Tarana Burke talking about the Me Too movement, Leslie Jordan in San Francisco, Ina Garten in Atlanta, Kim and Brad Paisley in Nashville, and Chance the Rapper in Chicago, which I'm really excited about, too. All you have to do is go to Ticketmaster.com slash going there. Next question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Associate producers, Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and on my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tier at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.